Welcome back, club subscribers. Thank you for subscribing to the podcast. Uh, got a good one today. Once we get into the analysis stuff, we're looking at a company called Eclipse, and it's an interesting one. It uh, has had a rough time. The financials aren't great, but and the share price has tanked, but it's on its way back up. And so it uh, it's an interesting one in terms of the analysis. Also with this one, uh, I was in Sydney earlier this week and spent a couple of days with Tony. And uh, so we're sitting together at a table in front of Stock Doctor. And uh, that was that was great to see just how rapidly he can move through this analysis when he's sitting in front of the computer. Also means there's a bit of background noise because it was pissing down rain outside of the window in Sydney. They brought a cyclone to, to welcome me uh, coming from sunny Brisbane down there. So uh, please forgive some of the background noise, but uh, we'll get into it. Hope you enjoy it. All right, here we are. No FM music. I'll put that in later. <laughs> Welcome back to the QAV podcast. Um, I'm sitting in person with Tony. Uh, my name is Cameron Riley, by the way, if this is your first time listening. Welcome. I uh, made the trip from sunny and hot Brisbane down to, I don't know what to call this in Sydney, Tony. What is going on with the weather down here? It's cyclonic, isn't it? Yeah. We're sitting uh, 178 stories up in Tony's uh, Lando Calrissian Sky Palace, and it's basically just uh, a turbine. The wind is... I feel like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz have been picked up. Maybe you are Oz. Are you the great and mysterious Oz, Tony? No. Okay. I can see the Opera House, though, now. We couldn't see it before. Yes can see the Opera House and the uh, Harbour Bridge. But yes, it's been a very, very cold, wet day. I've, I've been trying to find a quiet spot in Tony's apartment to record. We just gave up and thought, screw it, we'll just do it. Right <laughs> do it in the lounge room. We're kind of in the centre of the apartment now, so hopefully the wind's not going to be too loud. So, uh, Tony... What do you want to talk about this week? What's been going on in the mind of investors this week? Well, a few things. It's There are a small number of companies, but some companies who have a March year-end reporting. So their reports have just been released to the market. So companies like Aristocrat, Leisure, Gemworth, and Eclipse come to mind. Uh, and we might talk about Eclipse in some more detail. Why do, they, why do they do reporting in March? I'm not sure why, but it's, there's no hard and fast date that the company has to report by as long as they release the results to the market within, I think it's two months, something like that anyway. Uh, so, yeah, some companies just have a, a, a March and September half-year and full-year reporting day. Right. Hmm. Uh, I know that American companies, I think, have a February uh, year-end reporting date, and some Canadian companies do, so maybe it's tied up with that, like they might have to get their US results out first or something like that if they have a subsidiary, but I don't think there's any real reason for it. Maybe it's historical. But yeah, there's not a, not a huge number, but certainly some that report uh, September and March. And so those companies have just uh, started dropping their results in the last couple of weeks. Okay. So that's the first thing. But it's thing. a small percentage of the yeah. ASX companies? Yeah, most, most companies are on a June or December reporting period. So how do you know um, which companies to be checking around this time of the year? Because last time uh, we spoke about this, you were saying there's not going to be a lot of new figures to talk about until end-of-year reporting comes out in August. How do you, how do you know? I think just through... History really. I've got some alerts set up in Stock Doctor, right, for certain companies that I've uh, either bought and sold in the past or have an interest in. Uh, so yeah, it's really just watching those. Like you, f- you find out through well, I find out through my normal method of of leads for companies because oftentimes when their results come through, there's a big movement in the share price. So, for example, in the case of Eclipse, they've they have hit a 52-week high, which is one of the ways I find stocks. I look up that table and the fin review every couple of days and and go through those just scan through that eclipse came out i had bought and sold the shares probably a couple of times over the years so it's one that's always been on my radar 
but I also have an alert for it in Stock Doctor, so I was, I was told by them the new figures are in. Right. What do they do, Eclipse? Uh, so they're a vehicle leasing company. Uh, they got into trouble last year and the share price went down by about two-thirds because they tried to grow from their base and they bought a company called Gray's Online Auctions. Oh, yeah. I remember them. Yeah. So they were trying to expand into this, the selling side of vehicles because mm-hmm. they have that experience in leasing, I suspect. I, I also know from uh, my own experience at leasing vehicles through corporates that the when you finish your lease, it goes through an auction house like Gray. So they probably thought they were vertically integrating. Mm-hmm. But the Gray side uh, went tits up. Uh, is that it's a, probably still operating? Is that a technical yeah. investor term? Tits up, Tony. Yeah, didn't right. work out to their expectations. Uh, so, so where do you think that? Where does that come from? Tits up. So you're dead. Uh, you're lying yeah, on your back. Your exactly. tits are pointing up, pushing up daisies. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So Grays didn't work out well for them. Didn't it? work out well for them. They took a big write down. They sacked the CEO, and this is the first set of numbers that come out since all that took place. Mm-hmm. And, the markets like them, and uh, as we'll see, the the company score comes out well uh, on the checklist. Now, last week we had uh, Alan Kohler on, and we were talking about what the RBA was going to do with interest rates, and today's the big day. What did they do? They cut by 0.25 of, of 1%. So, so what does that mean? Uh, so that's now the what's called the cash rate. So 1.25% goes into... The banks, when they work out how much they charge customers, the treasurer was today telling banks that they have to pass on that 0.25% cut. So even though the, the mortgage rate is higher than 1.25 because the banks have to get their margin, uh, it, should, it should track lockstep with the RBA cash rate. So if the cash rate goes down, bank mortgage rate should go down. It doesn't have to work that way. And if it doesn't, in the past, there's been lots of pressure on the banks, both from the government and their own customers, to pass on that rate cut. Okay, but explain to me what the cash rate, again, is all about. What, is it, what, what does it mean? What's its purpose? Why cut it? Why, why, what's the RBA trying to achieve by cutting that, etc.? Yeah, so the, the cash rate is probably the only lever the RBA can, can move to affect the economy. It's often called monetary policy, and basically the flow of money affects the economy. And a lower cash rate should mean that uh, companies can borrow cheaper, uh, that uh, comp- if you're valuing a stock, it suddenly becomes worth a bit more because the the debt you've got to borrow to buy that stock is is lower. So it's meant to be a stimulant, a stimulant to the economy. People's mortgage rates go down, they should spend more, that kind of thing. So it flows right through the economy, basically through the basically through bank rates, whether it's a commercial borrower or a residential borrower. Right. So lowering the lowering the cash rate is stimulatory. So the RBA has taken the view that uh, inflation is low and they want it to get it higher. So they want growth in the economy uh, and they're not getting it. So they've lowered the cash rate in the belief that that will stimulate people to spend more. How does this relate to quantitative easing? Same thing. So... Uh, the the Fed in the states uh, lowering interest rates is is easing uh, well, easing quantitatively, but easing uh, I guess the monetary policy in the states and allowing people to borrow cheaper, which should flow through the economy, both from the businesses of the borrowing and the res- the people buying houses, they should have less of a mortgage cost, and so they can put more money back into the economy uh, by spending more doesn't always work out that way, but that's the theory. In the case of QE, the the Fed over there also printed money uh, as a way of being able to issue the bonds, which were then uh, cheaper than what they were in the past, which enabled p- the, the businesses in particular to borrow at a cheaper rate. So effectively, what the RBA has done today is make the cost of borrowing money cheaper mm. in the marketplace. Correct. And hoping that will stimulate the economy because, as Alan Cole was telling us last week, the economy's not doing great. Yeah, and, and that must have come through in the numbers. I haven't had a chance to read the RBA's release yet, but it must have come through in their numbers. They're seeing either low inflation, uh, low employment, 
which we know is not the case in terms of the macro number of the unemployment rate. It's very low at the moment anyway. It's usually around, it's been around 5% for a while now in Australia. But as Alan pointed out before, in the interview we did with him before, it's not just that one number of full-time employment, there's also the underutilisation of the rest of the workforce and how many people want to get more work but can't get more work. Mm. That's probably the dimension which is missing from that headline 5% number of, with unemployment. Mm. Uh, but the RBA would also be looking at things like uh, the manufacturing index. Are we producing more goods? Is that growing? They'd be looking at imports and exports, uh, all sorts of different metrics which help them to form an opinion about whether the economy is growing or shrinking. Mm-hmm. And I think the you know as we as we said in the interview last week with Alan, interest rates is only one lever, but it's their only lever that they can pull. And I know that the governor of the RBA over the over the election period, you know, was basically asking both leaders of the parties to commit to more infrastructure spending, for example, to create employment and try and help the economy grow from the government side and not just leave it up to the RBA cutting rates. Because let's face it, 1.25% isn't very high. I wasn't so confident that the RBA would lower rates this week because if if 1.5% isn't enough to stimulate the economy, how is 1.25% going to do it? And secondly, if they have to keep cutting, they're running out of room to move if there's going to be a recession in the future or some other event which really needs them to cut rates to stimulate the economy. So as a professional investor, when you see something like this happen, uh, do you see this as a good sign or a bad sign? Well, I'm kind of neutral because it's happened because the RBA has taken the view the economy is not strong. So it's kind of six of one, half a dozen of the other. Yes, it's good that interest rates are lower and I'll have a bit more cash to spend. But no, it's bad because the reason it's lower is because the economy is not doing so good. But the, this, the, the health of the economy doesn't really make a great deal of difference for how you tackle your investment portfolio, right? We've t- talked about this before. You're still at the end of the day just looking at the numbers. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I don't, I don't take a view as to where the economy is going to go. And I'm always surprised by which company is going to throw up good numbers every reporting season. Mm. Um, I, I would half expect that if the economy is not doing well, then some of the best performing companies might be things like supermarkets because they, people need to eat in any sort of stage of the cycle. So they're what's called a, a defensive investment. Um, so you don't necessarily want to be in those when the economy is booming because in other sectors will will grow quicker than supermarkets because people can't suddenly buy two dinners a night. They'll just buy the same amount of groceries every week. But when the economy is going down... They, they might buy to, the good cheese, though, instead well, of the might. cheap cheese. Yeah, but that's not going to be the kind of growth that's going to compare well to, say, a construction company where there might be, in, in the good times, lots of cranes on the horizon and buildings being put up quickly and things like that. So... They're more attractive when the economy's booming. When the economy's in recession, defensive stocks like gambling companies, like supermarkets are going to be, like utilities are going to be more in vogue. But who knows? I'll wait till the report, the reports come out in the reporting season and we'll see. So basically nothing really changes dramatically with you. You just keep looking at, looking at the numbers. Yeah. I mean, I take looking it. For, looking for companies that are doing well. Correct. I do take an interest in the economy. I want to see it work well, you know, for all our benefits. And obviously a healthy, strong economy is better for the stock market than a poor, ailing recessionary economy. So, you know, I want the RBA to do the right thing and the government to do the right thing. But at the end of the day, you'll find stocks to buy in a recession just as much as you'll find stocks to buy in the good times. In your experience over the last 20, 30 years, there are companies that do well in a recession as well as there are companies that do well in boom times? Yeah, there are. Yeah, I just can't pick them in advance. You've got to wait for the, to see the numbers. Yeah. yeah. But, but in your experience, there are always companies that are doing oh, yeah. well. Yeah. For a yeah. variety of reasons. Yeah. And when you, when we say doing well, like for example, it comes down to valuation as well. Mm. A company may come out and say, well, look, our sales are down 10%. Mm. Uh, and the stock might tank to such an extent you go, well, this is a great buy now. Mm-hmm. Even though they said we're doing it tough. Mm-hmm. It's, that might be the once in a generation time you can buy a BHP mm-hmm. at a reasonable price, mm-hmm. for example, or a Commonwealth Bank. I remember in the GFC, 
I got a phone call from my stockbroker saying Commonwealth Bank is issuing new shares. Do you want to buy them at 25 bucks? And now they're $80-ish. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, yes, even in the, in, the, in the depths of the worst, worst recession we've all been through, uh, there's opportunity. Speaking of shares that have tanked, <laughs> <laughs> Apollo. Yeah, Apollo Tourism Malaysia. I'll just take a second here and look up what it's currently trading at. So for new listeners, um, what we do on this show is we apply Tony's system, his methodology for analysing companies and determining whether or not they are likely to be a good investment. Let's mute your uh, thing. And... um, the first company that we came across since when we started the podcast uh, was one called Apollo Tourism and Leisure. We looked at their financials and it looked like it they, they, it was borderline from memory, but we thought, yeah, it's probably looking good. And then within about a week, uh, their shares started to slip. And then I think a week later, they announced that actually uh, their financials have substantially changed. Things had taken a turn for the worse and the share price collapsed. We made a decision then to get out of them in our uh, theoretical uh, dummy portfolio. But you were telling me when you picked me up at the airport that they've dropped so far now. So I think when we were looking at them, they were a dollar. What are they today? 38 cents. Wow. Yeah. And they've gone up 1.3% in the last 24 hours. So I think they're starting to come back onto the horizon as a potential investment. I ran the numbers again on the weekend, and it's they're compelling numbers. It just comes down to what the results will be like in August, I think. Mm-hmm. If I see them start to go for a run, I'd, I'd start to buy some. Um, and like I said, they're up 1.3% today, so they may start to go for a run. But the company's worth is, is worth more than nothing but they're being sold like they're going out of business. So at some point, they'll become a buy. And the fundamentals of the business, even though they, they said that uh, the the RV rental market wasn't uh, doing as well as they thought, it had been hit by, was, was it US and Canada? Uh, no, I think, I think from memory, the downgrade was on the back of selling Less RVs, so oh, the sales, the sales of the new ones, side of it, yeah, because they do both, yeah, that's yeah. right. And they kind of just followed suit to all the other vehicle sellers in the market around that time. So companies like AP Eagers, who are a big network of both new and used car dealerships, came out and said, "Look, we're we're ten percent down on what we were last year." And I think from memory, Apollo came out and said they were something like fifteen to twenty percent down. So it wasn't like the shops are closed. Mm. They were just selling less. Uh, and they're putting it down to declines in the housing market, which meant people were feeling less flush with cash and were putting off that that vehicle purchase for an extra year to see how things went. Who the hell buys an RV anyway? Oh, retirees. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. those people are going, listen, we're not going to go on our uh, round-the-country trip. Hmm. This year, we'll put it off for another year, maybe. Yeah, we might pitch up the caravan instead this year. Yeah, yeah. right. So the fundamentals of their business haven't changed dramatically, but the share price really has plummeted by 60%. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to be looking at it. You're looking for the three-point trend line to turn around? I'm looking for a bounce. That's right, yeah. So you can see on the graph we're looking at, there's a bit of an uptick, but not, not enough to excite us at the moment. Uh, but, yeah, I, I would expect to start seeing it trending up fairly soon. So at some point it's going to turn around? Yeah. Okay. So normally you would, what, just keep an eye on this every day? Not every day. I'd, I'd probably look at it once a week. Right. Yeah. And uh, and also wait for some new results to come out. Right. Admittedly, that's probably six weeks away. Right. Uh, We're what, recording this, what, the, is it the 4th of June? 4th. Yeah. Of so, June, yeah, okay. So they will have, they'll be going through, they will have closed off their books at the end of June. Well, so they haven't closed off their books yet, but they'll probably have a fair idea of how they're going because mm-hmm. they had to tell the market last month that they weren't going to achieve their announced targets in the past. In a month's time, they'll be ruling off their books and then 
a month after that. So maybe not quite six weeks, maybe it's going to be more like eight weeks before they'll report. Early August. Yeah. Okay. And then we'll, oftentimes what you see, and this is probably not a good thing, is if we start to see the share price going up before that announcement, we know there's probably some good news in the announcement. They're not, you know, you're not supposed to insider trade, it's illegal, but oftentimes you you see the share price start to tick up or down because of the nudge-nudge, wink-winks that goes on between either a fund manager who's close to the company or the nephew of the owner or something like that. The word starts to get out, this is going to be good or it's going to be bad. Can the owners buy their own stock without it being... That's insider trading, though, really. They, yeah. they, they can only buy and sell during what's called the market window, so... Uh, it's typically within the month after they announce their results. Right. So twice a year. Right. Yeah. And there, there is some leeway on that, and each company will have its own policy, but generally it's the month after the results are announced. But if you start to see it uh, ticking back up, even before the results come out, you'd probably weigh back in. Yeah. Assume that it's yeah. good news. I would, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that's good. Um. What else has been on your mind this week? No, I think that's probably it. I think we should probably look at a company like Eclipse. Hold on, before we get onto that, we we were talking um, before we turned the microphone on about shorting. Yeah. You were explaining to me some of the ways of shorting that I'd never heard of before. Yeah, so I was was using the Apollo Tourism and Leisure as a way into that discussion, but by doing what we did, which was selling out early and then waiting for a cheaper price to buy back in – we're kind of shorting in the on the basis that by preserving cash, it's now worth a lot more at a cheaper price, if that makes sense. So when we sold out, if we if say for example we bought a million shares at a dollar and we decide to sell out, I think around seventy cents, mm. something around around there, uh, we've got seventy cents worth of money left. But mm. now the share price is at thirty seven five, we can probably buy twice as many shares. At that price. So, what's the difference between shorting and selling? Yeah, so so shorting technically is is typically it's borrowing a stock from a fund, then selling it, hoping that it will go down, then buying it back and giving it back to the fund. So that's the that's the classic way that short sellers operate in the market. Uh, they're not a big portion of the market. Like sometimes they're they're probably about four or five percent of the market who are dedicated fund managers will say, well, we think because the car vehicle companies have come out and said they're not selling as many cars, that a company like Apollo Tourism and Leisure will have will be struggling to sell RVs, so we're going to short it. So they'll go and try and find, say, a large superannuation fund who will rent them the stock. So they'll typically sign a contract saying that we're going to give you a million shares in Apollo Tourism and Leisure and we expect you to deliver them back at a point in time or... By a certain date. Oftentimes by a date, but it could be open-ended, mm. in which case it's probably going to be a fee per month that they charge for that service. Right. A low fee. It's not very very much. But it's a way for the super fund to make a bit of money out of a company which isn't going, which isn't big in their portfolio. Say they're a big index fund, Apollo Tourism and Leisure is a small part of the index. It's not going to matter to the index performance whether they give away the stock for a few months and get it back later, it, it, it'll slot back into their portfolio without making a difference. And they've made a bit of fee income along the way. The short seller, on the other hand, has said, we think Apollo Tourism Leisure is going to go down. Our thesis is X, Y, Z. They've gone out and saw someone who will lend them the stock. They've taken a million shares from the super fund. They've immediately sold them at a dollar or 90 cents or 70 cents or whatever. And they're going to wait until they think it gets low enough to buy back in. And they're going to buy them, at, say, today at $0.38. Cents. And that's their profit. The difference between a dollar and $0.38, cents, the sell price and their buy price, is their profit. They then give those shares back to the super fund and stop paying fees on the contract. Hmm. Of course, if uh, the, the shares had gone up... Yeah, they lose. They lose yeah. doubly because they... Uh, uh, have to buy the shares back at a more expensive price, and they've been paying the rental fee. Correct. Yeah. Under the contract, right? Yeah. Did you see that um, Adam McKay film, The Big Short? I did. Yeah. So was that 
that kind of a process or were they using some other sort of financial mechanism to short the it was about the global financial crisis these guys uh, predicting it and taking a position they were shorting the US stock market right well there was a whole a whole number of people as part of that book and movie and they all had different approaches some people uh, went went down and, and posed as buyers of houses and found out how easy it was to get finance, even though they didn't have any income to support it, and then started to see all these suburbs, basically, where people had handed back their keys and, and walked away from their mortgage and thought, okay, let's go on short. I think it's called uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, who are the mortgage, I think, don't you can fact check this, but I think they're the mortgage guarantors for the, for the banks. Uh, and, and I guess they also went out and shorted the bank. So they did this process of who's got stock in Franny May, who's going to lend it to us, we'll sell it, and we'll wait for the market to realise that there's this whole deterioration in the mortgage belt going on out there, and then we'll buy it back cheaply and give it back to the person we borrowed it from. So certainly some of the players in the big short did that. <clears throat> some of the other players, as you said, just probably went out and bought future future uh, options on the... On the uh, New York Stock Exchange, uh, where they would have made lots of money if the stock exchange was substantially lower mm-hmm. in the future. So, are these things that uh, you use much in your investing? These sorts of mechanisms? No, I don't use them at all. Fair to say that most people listening to this probably are. <laughs> it's it's a it's a highly sophisticated and risky yeah. uh, approach to investing. Yeah, I mean the the flip side of of long selling is short selling. But there are a couple of caveats because if I buy a stock and hold it for the rest of my life, I might make 20 times or 30 times my initial investment. A short seller can only make 100 times, oh, sorry, 100% of their initial investment. So Because it can't drop more than 100%. Can't go below zero, yeah. yeah. So there's no, there, there can be substantial short-term upside, but it's never the sort of huge, uh, you know, four baggers, five baggers, six baggers that you can get by going long on a stock that you like for a long period of time. But, you know, there's there's a certain amount of talk I've seen um, about the global economy tanking. I know that there's, there's things going on in the US with Trump and trade wars with China and Mexico and God knows who else. Um and a lot of people are predicting that the U.S. market is going to go into a, a downturn. Um, so somebody could decide to take a punt on the market collapsing by shorting the market. They could, yeah. You, and that would be a different way to what I described about borrowing stocks, unless they wanted to go out and, say, borrow the, the top 20 big hitters in the market. Mm. Apple, uh, yeah, Berkshire, yeah. Microsoft and... Yeah, Whatever. they could go out and do that. And, and particularly those, uh, what do they call them, the, the FANG stocks, so the Facebooks mm-hmm. and the Apples. and Big tech stocks in the US. Yeah, because they're, they're probably likely to fall quicker and more. Than they them. just took a hit uh, right. last night because okay. there's the growing uh, murmurs in the US that they're going to be uh, looked at and maybe regulated and, and split up. And apparently they took a big hit overnight. Right, so they would be stocks you could short if you didn't like the future of the economy. Um, but again, it's a big bet. They could easily go up yeah. 20, 30, 40, 50% or more mm. while you're sitting around waiting. And that's, I think it was Milton Keynes, and you can fact check this, who said that the, the market can stay irrational longer than I can stay liquid. Right. <laughs> and yeah, applies yeah. even more to short sellers. Yeah. If, if you're buying long, you always have the option of holding on, waiting for it to come back. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're short, and it's going up. You're in a bad place, right? So it's not a not a one of the uh, arrows in your quiver that you no. use, right? No, it's just too risky. Yeah, you're not a gambler. I am a gambler. That's why I'd stay away from those things. <laughs> you are a gambler. Well, it's it's a bit like we said before about internet stocks. I, I haven't found a way yet of valuing them to get me to be comfortable to buy them. And the same with shorting. I see just too much risk there. But there are people out there in the market who are really good at, at combing over financial data, interviewing people, going down to the south of the US and posing as home buyers and seeing what the market's like, forming a theory and then taking a position. That's yeah. that's not what I do. But no. That's why I say you're not a gambler. Yeah. I am a gambler, but I'm not. 
I'm an investor first. Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 how do you gamble? Where are your gambles? Well, you know, I, I, um, I like Apart from in, investing in my film, <laughs> <laughs> my book, <laughs> this podcast. Yeah. yeah, it was all that. No, well, you know, I own a horse, horse breeding operation. So yeah, okay. Yeah. But when it comes to your main uh, oh, uh, yeah. investing, uh, uh, your, your portfolio, you don't. It's not gambling. No. No, no, you're a scientist, and that's that's another important point. And it's, uh, I guess, a macro point about the stock market is it has what what economists would call positive expectation. So over the last hundred years, it's always gone up over time. Mm-hmm. There are periods when it goes down, but in the long term, it goes up. So there's a positive expectation on average a ten or eleven percent yeah, a year, right? That's right, ten percent a year. Yeah, yeah. So. That's different to going to a casino where you you have negative expectation. If you play the roulette wheel, mm. you know, there's, I forget now what it is, 36 slots, but there's also a zero, but you only get paid out at 36 to 1, even though there's 37 slots. The zero is the is the, the slot that the bank gets there, but the mm. casino the gets to take, mm. the house gets to take on. Mm. So if you go to a casino, you're... Your expectation is you're going to lose money. Mm-hmm. If you're an investor, the expectation is you're going to make money over time. Mm. That's an important distinction. All right. Well, um, if that's the news for the week, let's get on and uh, do a bit, a little, little bit of stock analysis. You want to look at Eclipse? I do. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to talk about a stock which is reported uh, recently on its March year-end date. It's called Eclipse, and it's spelled E-C-L-I-P-X. The stock code is E-C-X. Echo Charlie X-Ray. Okay. Uh, so as I said before, this is a stock I've, I've bought and sold in the past. It's a it's a vehicle leasing specialist. I want to declare now that I have bought some more stock, uh, more shares in this company today. So I'm, I'm going to go through the analysis and you'll see why I was buying shares today, but I, I'm declaring that for transparency. I'm not suggesting at all that you should go out and, and buy this, this company. For all the reasons we spoke about in the past, you're not going to hear this on the same day that I'm speaking it. So the price may have gone up substantially or down substantially since then. Uh, there could be more information uh, in the market at that stage, which changes my mind on the stock. So I'm going through the numbers today to show people what the score is like for a company that I would buy. Yeah, well, let's just talk about that for a second. Um, the The concern that Tony and I have talked about with this is, a, we don't really see this podcast as a stock tip podcast. That's not the point of this. It's not really about, hey, here's what Tony's investing in. The idea about this is for, for Tony to teach me and those of you listening how he thinks about analyzing this sort of stuff. But so we, and, and also we want to be transparent. So, you know, we, we, can't be accused of using this as as a mechanism for Tony to uh, what what do you call it ramping uh, ramping, ramping yeah just you know pumping yeah a pump and dump uh, scheme so we want to be completely transparent about this and in fact in the in the future we'll probably figure out ways of maintaining a Chinese wall between what Tony's doing with his own portfolio and what we're doing with the podcast and. Figuring out a better way of of crossing that Chinese wall when we need to, but right now we just thought this is an interesting one. The flip side is, I suggested to Tony in the car today. Maybe I just randomly pick stocks and we analyze them. And he said, "Yeah, but if we do that, it could be a year before we find one that's worth worth uh, uh, giving a positive rating to, which is going to be a dismal <laughs> podcast." <laughs> and if Tony's already done some analysis on something and it's a good story, then we should be able to talk about it. But at the same time, we want to be transparent. So just to reaffirm what Tony said, don't think of this as a stock tip because by the time you listen to this, things could have changed with the financial analysis. So do your own analysis, go see a financial advisor, all the usual disclaimers that we say. Yeah, that's right. I think I think to date we've we've either analysed big companies like Telstra or BHP, which I don't own, and they haven't scored that well, uh, or we've analysed smaller companies like Myra and Apollo Tourism and Leisure, which have scored pretty well, but I don't own. So that might be the way forward: is that there are stocks out there which are in the small cap space, which I tend not to buy. That they might be ones we 
include for analysis. So they still score well, but they're not overlapping with my portfolio. Yeah. But in this case, this one does. But again, it's no recommendation. Uh, as we've seen from the Apollo Tourism and Leisure episode, it may turn out badly. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have a portfolio with just one stock. Yes. Okay. So let's get into it. Um, we're both sitting here today in front of Stock Doctor, which will speed up our analysis. Yeah. Still looking dismal out there, Tony, yeah, at like the window. The sun had come through for a minute, but that must have been the eye of the storm. So what did you say the um, share code is for this one? E- ECX. All right, well, let's get into it. Net cash flow. The annualised. So the current report is from March this year, and it's the interim, interim report. So we're going to annualise that. And the cash flow comes out at $334 million and 81,000. And that's annualised? That's annualised, Doc yeah. Doctor's already annualised. Yeah. For- oh, okay, yeah. it's just a checkbox there. Yeah. That's that's million? Yeah. 334.81 million. Correct, yeah. Number of shares on issue? 319, is it million? Uh, yeah, 319.637 million. You know what Stock Doctor need is they need a uh, QAV page. Yeah, Where they right. just pull all of the QAV <laughs> metrics. I don't need to worry about the rest of this shit. Just give me the QAV metrics, man. That's yeah. what we should do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what we should do. Well, we can write filters for some of this stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. It helps when the company reporting season's on and things happen fast. Right. Do they have an API where you can just build a spreadsheet and plug in the data? Kind of. So they have like an SQL query. We Uh have drop-down boxes and you can check that you want to look for a PE above or below a number or whatever. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So cash that gives me a cash per share of... 1.047. 1.047. Correct, yeah. Okay. What do you mean correct? How do you know that's correct? You're I not- did the analysis last night. <laughs> oh, you remember? <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Well, it sticks out, one, right? It's, got, it's a lot less than six. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's the share price? 138.5. All right, which gives me a share price to cash per share of $1.32. Right, okay. Hmm. Okay. You don't see, like you don't care. You're like, okay. Oh, it's not a metric I follow, but yeah. Yes, it is. It's an interim one. It's in the, it's in the <laughs> worksheet. It is. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't follow it. Where did it come from? Price to cash flow is the important one. Okay. That is what I uh, – that is. And that's cash per share. Isn't – Oh, okay. Yep, isn't it, it's it's yeah. the same thing, right? Price yeah. to cash flow. Yeah. No, you're right. But it's on a per share basis. Yep, you're right. 1.3. Yep. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that guy on TV in the Gold Coast? Big Kev. I'm excited. Big Kev. Yeah, used to sell washing machines on the Gold Coast on TV. There you go, Australia. My products really do work. Look for them in your laundry aisle at your local supermarket and let's buy back Australia. I'm excited. Yeah, big fat guy in a Hawaiian shirt. I'm excited about this price for a washing machine. Yeah, I vaguely recall that. We're talking like the 80s? Yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. Big Kev. (laughs) All right. Um, sentiment. What's the uh, three-point trend line looking like? What's the graph looking like? So this is an interesting one. Like I said, it had that period last year where they didn't do so well. Oh, but, yeah. But it's ticked up. So we're coming into a, a breakout period right now. Can I just mention that you just put the your pen nearly on your laptop screen. That yeah. that scared me. I was about to, like, swat your hand away because I thought it was my laptop screen. <laughs> or else it's your laptop and you can do whatever yeah. you want. But, yeah. dude, you can't put a pen near a laptop screen. Why? Well, I don't know. You just <laughs> you might. It's not a touch screen. I know, but you might scratch it all. Yeah, oh, oh. <laughs> so now he's just doing it. No. Just, okay. It's not the oh. point. Oh, you're you're uh, looking at three point trend line. <laughs> okay, you're putting your pen up against the screen to do yeah, the, okay straight line. So, so the trend is it's a it's back up to online. So if it goes a bit higher, it's a buy. You looking? Are you, you know, well, not yeah. sure, are you putting it across the tops or the bottoms? You're I was doing the tops across the tops because yeah. we're looking for a share price yeah. to break out through those tops. So I have to come. I have to come up with you here and see mm. it from your angle. Oh my god, I'm excited. <laughs> Settle down, Kev. <laughs> yeah, okay. So it's nearly breaking through. That's it's right. It's like on yeah. the verge. Yeah. Okay. So um, how do we rate that for sentiment then? Is it is that good or bad? Yeah, it's good. It's good? Yeah. So you'd give it a 
one. No. I think we give it a two, don't we, normally for a two? Yeah. Well it's not there yet. We'll give it one. I don't know. I mean it's it's plummeted and it's coming back up. Yeah. But you think that's a That's a good sign. Technically we're a little bit early. If it was a little bit higher, it's a definite breakout. But then it's you know, we've missed out on that ten percent growth. So I'm taking right. on gambling. I'm taking the punt that it's gonna keep going it's up. It's gonna keep going up. Yeah. Okay. Dividend yield? 5.8%. Price to earnings ratio? Is 9.1 currently, and that is the lowest of the last six. Right. So. Where are you uh, seeing it? September 16, 18.27. March oh. 17, 17, 19, then 16, 19, 13, 10.49, and then 4.22, these last results. But the price has ticked up, so it's currently at 9.1, but that's still lower than the preceding ones. Net equity. Equity. So we go to the balance sheet, and net equity is 711 million point eight eight. So net equity per share. I get 2.22 net equity per share. So Stock Doctor, don't give you a net equity per share figure? No, I've got to work it out just by dividing those two figures, though. 2.23, yep. I've yeah, got 2.27, 2. close enough. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, so this gives me a price-to-book ratio of negative 38%. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's less than its book value. Yeah. So net income, MPAT, last six months. So net that would be net profit after tax, so 48.611 yeah. million. Okay. Now I get a return on equity of 7%. Okay, Stock Doctor's got six. Okay. Future earnings per share is point, oh, sorry, $14.9, so $0.149. Well, now I have my intrinsic value number one, which is the current EPS divided by the 19.5% hurdle rate as 0.78. Mm-hmm. And my intrinsic value number two, which is the future EPS divided by 7.5% at one dollar ninety nine. Yep, they seem right. Okay, so checklist time. Uh, is it a star stock on no, Stock Doctor? It's not. Okay. Give it a zero. Is it an A one B two on share analysis? Unfortunately I think share analysis is down at the moment. I've been trying to get into it but oh. they're doing a platform upgrade so I can't tell you. Okay. So I'll just leave that out of the we'll calculation. Null that one out. Yeah. Is the share price beneath the stock doctor intrinsic value? Uh, and it's not. So stock doctor don't have their own intrinsic value for this one. Right. But there's a consensus valuation of six brokers of a dollar twenty nine. And the share price is one thirty-eight. So there it's no. So we'll give that a zero. Mm-hmm. Is that we well we have to null the next one because it's a share analysis yeah, one. Yeah, don't know. Is it below my intrinsic value number one? No, it's not. Mm-hmm. Is it below my number two? Yes, it is. Yes. So give it a one. Yep. Price to book. Is the share price less than 30% above the net equity per share? It was. Oof, 160% according to mine. Yeah, it's lower than the um, book value. Right. So we give it a one. Mm-hmm. Does the share price have a positive trend? So what are we going to say now? Is it is well, that a positive trend? Is that big enough? How 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 long is that uptick there? Is that over at... Uh... It's happened since March. Oh, okay. Yeah, this so is there's... a five-year share graph. So if I looked oh, okay. at, the, if I looked at say, a two-year share graph, I oh, know, is it, sorry, two-year? Two-year weekly. Mm. Yeah, it's been ticking up since the end of March. So, would you say that's positive? Oh, uh, yeah. I, look, I normally give it a, to me. Sorry, it looks positive to me. I mean, yeah. it came down for a long time, but it's been yeah. coming up for a couple of months. I'd normally give a positive share trend of two. So, why don't we give it a one? Just okay. to split the difference. Yeah. All right. Uh, is it the lowest PE in the last three years? It was growth of earnings per share as a percentage divided by PE as a number. We want it to be higher than one point five. I've got it as. Negative. Negative. Yeah, so it's not. So negative growth. Right. I think that's okay in this case because remember they 
they've shut down those businesses or they've exited those businesses, the Greys. Oh, they got out of Greys? They, were they yeah. sold it off or I something? I think so. It's either. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure we'd have to look at that. Well, I did look at that afterwards. Um, according to the Financial Review on the 13th of May, looks like the Eclipse business uh, talking about selling uh, greys, but it hasn't happened yet. They are talking about divesting it. And it actually looks like the CEO of Eclipse, Julian Russell, is talking about a management buyout. He's looking to raise funds to uh, buy it himself with the Eclipse Chief Operating Officer, Jeff McLean. So they might take it over and run it themselves and get it out of the Eclipse business. So that's where that's at. Right. But uh, I'm guessing the, the decline in EPS is probably because that business isn't contributing. Right. Yeah. Does the company have a consistently increasing equity? Um, well, I didn't. No. I didn't do all the all previous that. equities. We can look at it in Stock Doctor. So, balance sheet going back to March sixteen was five sixty four million, then six fifty four, six seventy three, eight sixty three million, eight eighty five, nine hundred. But the latest one is down to seven hundred and eleven. Mm. So no, and that's because they took down write downs on those businesses. Right. So they get a no for that, a zero. Is the PE less than the yield? PE 9.1, yield 5.8. So it gets a no. My nose here, Tony. It's okay. Is the yield... Plus the cash flow is one. It's going to be a heavy lifter in this calculation. Okay. Is the yield higher than the mortgage rate? The yield we said was 5.8. Yep. Mortgage rate, I've got it uh, 3.59. Doesn't sound right. What's the mortgage rate? I've actually got a link to I it here. No, it's just gone down twenty five percent, probably around four percent at the moment. I think. Oh, no, I'm probably not too far off. Then I'm looking at ratecity.com.au. Yeah, advertised rate three point three nine, comparison rate four point four one. So you've got to use a comparison rate, right? That's and that just for listeners, the comparison rate averages out all the fees and charges, so it's a like for like comparison between banks, right? So four point four one. Um, is the yield higher than the mortgage rate? Yes, it is. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, 5.8 to 4.41. Yep. Is the financial health from the subscription services stable or increasing? It is. So it's strong and strong for the last two halves. Okay. So give it a one for that. Yep. Is my forecast intrinsic value more than two times the current share price? So I had my forecast at 1.99. The price is 1.39. So no. That's correct. Uh, it's not one of the top 10 stocks. No. So you null that. Mm-hmm. Is the price per share divided by the cash per share less than or equal to six? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. So we give it a two. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the CEO an owner-founder? I don't think so. I'm just yeah. going to double-check that for you, going into corporate details. So, Mr. Going? Gary McLennan is the CFO deputy, chief so executive Julian Russell. Looks like the highest shareholder on the executive committee holds 1.7% securities. So I'm going to say a no to that. Right. Intrinsic value going up in the future share analysis. We don't know because share analysis so. is down. Right. So we null that out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me see. My total score is eight, and I've got 15 metrics. Oh, okay. So I get a 53%, and we want it to be higher than 75%. We do normally, yeah. Right. But I think if you multiply it out with the next line, we divide it by the uh, operating cash flow, don't we? Price to operating cash flow. Yeah, the measure of value. Mm. So now I get a 0.4, we want it to be greater than 0.1. Correct, yeah. Mm. So even though that first score is low, it comes out good because of the cash flow? That's right, yeah. So it's the mixture of quality and value that is the final arbiter. Right. Yeah. Okay. And that's very high. I mean, that would put it towards the top of my list of, uh, of scores. Right. So we're saying that even though at a performance level it's not performing well, mm-hmm. you can um, the price is so low that Correct. it's a good yeah. value buy. Yes. 
And the quality's not bad. I mean, what would you say you had there, 53%? Yeah. Yeah, so it's not too bad. But, uh, yeah, it's I have no way of knowing if that's good oh, or bad. Okay. But <laughs> well, 75% is good. Yes. Really good. So 53% is not good, but it's, not it's, bad. That's right. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at some of So this, well, is, a, this is a case. This is like the uh, Applied Tourism and Leisure. Yes, it's had the business has had some tough times, but yeah. it's become so cheap it's a good buy. Right. Yeah. I'm looking at SMR, the last one that we did, Stanmore, was oh, yeah. 63%. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just on that metric, measure of value is 0.07. So, okay. That's interesting. So that's good to know. So this is where you say, okay, it's it's had some tough times, but the prices dropped so much that it's a yeah, buy. that's right. The numbers are good enough that it, it um, has some positive prospects and you can buy it cheaply. Correct. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and if, if you looked up the news on, on this particular stock, you'd see that the board's taken a lot of action around the problems it had. Yeah. So, so Sack the CEO. Sack the CEO. Got, got rid news. of Grays or something. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's taking action. So, so they cut off the cancer, cut out the cancer. That's right. And so you'd expect it to go back to that kind of growth pattern it had before it tried to expand for growth. So, you know, we want to watch it going forward to see what its future results are like. Uh, and it will have results again in August? No. So because it's reporting now, right? the next six monthly date will be September, right? which will then come out a couple of months after that. Right. They'll release the figures, so it'll be around October, November. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, that's an educational one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, all right. Well, thanks, Tony. Yeah, good. Are we going to dinner now? Soon. <laughs> Gotta wait for Jen to come home. What time does she come home? Oh, about an hour. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, good. Well, there you have it. I think that was a good one. Um, business hasn't been performing great, but the shares are coming back from a big uh, dive, so it's a, a good one, Tony thinks. But as always, don't make any investment decisions based on what you hear on the show. This is just an educational conversation, and uh, you should do your own analysis and go see a financial advisor. This is for education and entertainment. Although, honestly, not that entertaining. Let's be honest, a lot of dry, boring analysis going on there. But I hope you're learning from it as I am and getting better at it each week. And we'll be back next week with uh, more analysis. I think we're doing a tech stock in our next episode. So uh, after Tony's big conversation with Alan Kohler last week, I think we decided to have a look at Afterpay which is one of the hottest stocks on the ASX at the moment. We'll run it through the mill and see how it comes out in Tony's analysis. That'll be next week. Have a good week.